All right, Jordan, thanks for joining us on our Super Good Podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. So on this podcast, we really just like to explore the stories of, uh, you know, of the people that have um, participated in our Suited for Good program. And, and the focus isn't on Suited for Good. It's on the story, um, you know, the, the amazing people that will share their stories with us. So sure. maybe we can start with you, like, you know, where you're from, how old are you, you know, where, where, where were you born and raised, that kind of stuff. Awesome. Uh, so I grew up here in Utah. Uh, was an army brat, you know, at a young age. So I'm 42 now. So I was born in in 81. Uh, my my mom and dad, dad was stationed all over the country. I have an older brother and an older sister. So we lived in uh, St. Louis, uh, just outside of Denver, uh, when I was young. And my mom and dad divorced when I was about six, going on seven years old. And mom headed back here to Utah with me and my brother and sister. So we all originated here uh, and so when they divorced we, we moved back to Kaysville uh, at that point my mom kind of took on you know the role of a single parent uh, you know both being the breadwinner and raising three kids and so she was her personality she was never really one to ask for for help too much she wasn't the type to you know look for assistance or other things so she would grind and uh, sometimes working two maybe three jobs at a time to help raise us there's a gap between uh, me and my brother and sister of about 10 years. So, so I'm the youngest. You're the youngest? I'm the youngest, okay. yep. So kind of like a little accident baby. Uh-huh. Um, so your parents were together for quite a few years before they, they split. Yeah, I want to say, you know, probably 18 or probably, yeah, probably, probably 15, 16 years, something like that. Because okay. my sister would have been, my sister would have been about 18 years old at that time, so. Okay. Yeah. So, so your sister's the oldest. Sister's the oldest. Then my brother's right behind her, about a year and a half younger, and then me, ten years later. Ten years later. Yep. Okay. And so, moved back to Kaysville. Um, you know, I was raised LDS. That was that was our faith. And Kaysville is a very LDS uh, city, kind of a mix of like a suburban and farm community. Back at that time, you know, back in the in the eighties. And, and for those who don't know, that would be Mormon. Yes, yep. The Mormon, the Mormon faith. That's Mormon correct. Faith, yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, so coming back into that small town neighborhood, and one of the tenets of like Mormon faith is very family based, very, very much so. And so in our our ward, which would have been our local congregation, you know, or basically the the church group in our, in our local neighborhood, I think I want to say I was probably the only single parent family in that in that group and so with that comes like some kind of immediate outsider feelings um very patriarchal based faith and so there's a lot of like father son activities stuff like that so when your dad's not there you know luckily i had some friends whose fathers kind of stepped into that role but it's still it's not the same right you're not their son you're not you're not doing that thing and so I, i think at a young age um and I think with the gap between me and my brother and sister, you know, kind of had that only child feeling. Uh, mom was gone a lot working, you know, like I, like I talked about, she was, she was working quite a bit. So it kind of became one of those latchkey kids and sort of the outsider feelings, you know, of, of groups and stuff. I remember being, you know, getting in trouble when I was a kid. I was not like the worst, but behaviors that, you know, counselors and teachers and stuff would, would peg and say, hey, if he doesn't do something different than what he's doing, he's going to head down a bad path, you know, which yeah. eventually became a reality. But we'll get to that later, I guess. 
Well, I think it is interesting for those who don't know. It is. It's a you know Utah is a very uh, there's a very strong influence of the Mormon Church and very family centric, but uh, it is also a very definite definition of family, which yeah. makes it really really difficult because yep. if you don't conform, if if you're not you know traditional mom dad dad working mom staying at home and it's it's tricky it's tricky it, it can be very alienating for people who aren't well and i think i started to identify a little bit with that outsider feel yeah. and i would purposely start to do things hmm. to push that you know yeah. i i um today i i think that the faith i grew up in is i'm not a member of the church anymore and i, I don't practice its faith but i i think it's a great organization you know but i was very rebellious towards it at a young age yeah. i you know and I, I don't know how much of it was just being a kid and, and trying to figure some stuff out and feeling like you got to point a finger somewhere at something at why things are the way they are you know and that's i think that's where it landed for me so i started to be attracted to kind of a bad boy image you know um i guess how, I, how old are we talking uh, probably around eight or nine years old you know just starting to get into little little mischievous stuff my mom being gone all the time she would uh she'd bring me down here to salt lake city which is you know about 20 miles from kaysville mom worked down here in an office job so in the summertime she'd bring me down here and just trying to create some structure for me trying to make sure i've you know not not just a loose cannon going off all over the place she got me into some summer camps and stuff down here and I got introduced to inner city kids that way yeah. and some of their habits and, you know, like some of what I now can see was like multi-generational habits that were in their family and, and maybe some of these things. And I started picking up some of those behaviors and I'd take them back home to small town Kaysville. And so that outsider bad boy image started to form. And I, you know, I remember it started with, with swearing, right? Like uh, I'd be swearing yeah. around my friends yeah. and they'd just be totally, whoa, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and I, I got, kind of got off on that shock, that shock value. value. Yeah. yeah. And, and what I noticed is it started to, those friends started to fall in suit. You know, some of them would pull away. Some of them would continue with their, with, with, you know, the right behaviors that they were being taught in their home and stuff, but someone would kind of follow after me. And so I think in a way I introduced some of that stuff uh, to, to my peer groups of, of friends and things like that. Um, let's see, at about age 10, so what, third third grade? Yeah, about third grade, you know, some of these behavioral issues kind of sp started to show themselves in school and things like that, you know, and the teachers had commented to my mom, well, he's gotta have some kind of learning disability. There's something going on, you know, and my mom was like, there's, there's no way he has a, a learning disability, test him. And let's see. And so they did. And it turned out I actually had a, a little bit higher IQ than average and was just not putting it into the right stuff. Sure. You know, maybe need to be challenged a little bit more. So in fourth grade, I started going to a gifted program. So, you know, what was initially, hey, he's got some problems, he's got some issues, turned into, well, maybe he just needs to be challenged a little bit more. And so went into that gifted program, did that for the remainder of what would be your elementary school years, you know, through sixth grade. And we were doing some really cool stuff. I remember coming up to the University of Utah and watching a cow get a heart transplant, you know, wow. uh, doing college level math 
at, at those, Man. you know, and, and taken off on, on a lot of that stuff. And the expectation was that, okay, once you complete this schooling, you're going to go into back into the regular school system, but you're going to be taking AP courses and you're going to yeah. be doing this stuff. You're on a different track. Yeah. And, and a lot of the guys that the guys and gals that I, I went through that gifted school with became doctors, became engineers, you know, different things, very successful. You know, it was, it was, it was kind of a springboard into life. Me, I took advantage of it when I went back into the regular school system and I just signed up for the regular classes and did the bare minimum lowest expectations and was a straight A student but knew that I was just blowing through it. You know what uh, I mean? Taking advantage. I could start kind you of. You could have done a lot oh, more. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like too easy. To I, yeah, and that kind of built a real habit for me of cutting corners and trying to find the easy way to, you know, meet the status quo and, and look like, you know, and I start building this. Everything looks good on the outside, while really on the inside, it's not. It's not going so hot. And can I interrupt just for a second? Sure. So your dad, mm -hmm. your dad is, stays back in was it Ohio. It was in uh, Colorado that they Colorado? divorced. Actually, dad came back out here okay. and was stationed in just outside of Salt Lake City. At he, Air Force Base? Was no, in uh, up at Fort Douglas. Okay. So he was Army. Okay. He was Army. Um, and he was around, and I would go see him, you know couple times a year and kind of his his reaction towards me was to spoil me when I'd go see him you know probably maybe a little bit of guilt but he wasn't a very affectionate guy even when you know he was in the house wasn't wasn't a real hands-on like dad like that so yeah. so I think he tried to compensate for his absence and and those things was always a kind to me was never you know not an angry guy um, actually have some hobbies that I that I have today that I picked up from our time being together and stuff so like what uh, I collect comic books really yeah I do I, cool. have, I have quite a, a comic book collection of you know and I built that habit with my dad he was a book collector he was he would do different things so we go on these kind of like little treasure hunts and he'd take me and show me all these cool little spots and so so affectionate guy but just not there not involved oh. in my in my upbringing, not really any of that. You know, anytime I needed him, anytime that I wanted to go spend time with him, it was not a problem. It was kind of on you to. Yeah, but to, he wasn't. Yeah, yeah, he was doing his thing. So, so and he was there for my brother and sister as far as like financial. They both went to college uh, on missions and stuff. He was he wasn't like a deadbeat that wasn't yeah. you know contributing with child support and stuff. So, but he just wasn't a family man. Yeah. Huh. Um. Sorry, I interrupted. Back, no, that's okay. Back to where you were. Yeah, so, you know, I get through the elementary school into junior high. Um, you're, doing, you're doing the minimum because it's easy. You can still Yeah, and, still and acing it, the, you know, getting straight A's, and, doing the yes, and, and starting, to, you know, and you get into that age group where popularity and um, still have that rebellious bug in me. So you're, you know, you're starting to build that character, right? You're starting to build that identity of who am I, what do I want to be about, those different things. And naturally, my rebellious side, and if you told me not to do something, I was going to test out why you were telling me not to do it. I had to discover it for myself, led me into drugs. Yeah. You know, and it started off with a buddy of mine stealing some cigarettes from a gas station that he was working at at night. Um, and we're smoking those, stealing a case of beer, you know, trying this stuff out. Really not even like, it wasn't an enjoyable experience, but it was that I was doing something you I wasn't supposed to be doing. Yeah, and, and How old were you when you tried your first cigarette? Uh, probably 14, you know, for, yeah, about 14 years old. 
um, immediately that became a part of my identity. I'm a smoker. I'm, you know, we got to go out and hang out in the parking lot at the school, hide behind stuff, getting suspended from school for things like that, for, for smoking and um, vandalism stuff. You know, just just little things that were led into big things later on. You know, and that's that's what they warn you at the time, and you're like, yeah. you're making a big deal out of this, and it's not, but yeah. it was. Uh, the drinking thing wasn't really hooked like like some kind of immediate addiction or something. It was the social uh, lubricant that, that was the addictive part to me, you know, is all of a sudden you have something in common with other people and you're you're and then you're attracting more people like yourself that are into getting away with stuff that they're not supposed to be and then they have other habits that they're sharing with you and it just slowly builds itself until you're trying hard drugs and like at 14 or just uh, I, I want to say you know I started smoking pot at about 15 years old 16 years old tried methamphetamine for the first time wow. and, and how, how was school going at this time so like in high school are you still able to ace and, and smoke meth I mean like, no are, no you know so, so like, once what? those drugs start becoming like a, a prevalent thing when they start to become more important to me then you know, getting up and grinding and just and just living life. You know, because I, I remember as a kid, I was, I was fun, adventurous. We'd go out, we'd ride our bikes, we we we'd explore places. We, you know what I mean? Very yeah. active, always always with my friends, always hanging out, having fun. And then the drugs came in, and that starts to become a core value that you share with other people that do drugs. And depending on your friendships and how how strong maybe some of your leadership qualities or your influences upon those around you. You bring that into it, and maybe you're exposing some of your friends that would have never done it. You're bringing things. them in because yeah, you're, you're, you're. I mean, people wouldn't know this, but you've got a very natural leadership quality about you. You you walk into a room, and I look at you, and I think he's a leader of some sort. So yeah, I imagine that was part of that too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that was that became drugs, uh, alcohol, uh, the partying, the the living kind of on that in that gray area. You know straddling the fence in a lot of ways started to become part of the identity and when those things start to creep in um you know and, and there were scares in high schools oh so back to your question about you know grades and stuff uh up through my junior year up to my junior year i was still basically a 4.0 student might have been like a 3.9 or something um but about my junior year that's when things really started to fall off and i'd be sloughing school i'd miss more school than i was even there because of the the drugs and the partying and stuff became so important to me and that was priority. yeah the schools just started to look like an obstacle rather than you know a vehicle to get me somewhere was how so was your mom was she aware of what was going on I mean I I a single mom like the burden is so heavy yeah and my brother and sister at this time now are out of the house they yeah. they like I said they they went on LDS missions you know and, and for people that don't know what that is there's a two-year period when you hit adulthood in the Mormon faith where you're you're asked to go out and serve, you know, spread the gospel, do that stuff. So they spend two years of their life doing that. My sister had gone to uh, BYU College and was and was working on a degree there. Uh, my brother had, when he returned from his mission, you know, they were they were high school age and then going and doing that stuff. So they weren't there to support mom with, with me. Sure. And my mom was very, private about her business in life like I said she didn't like to ask for help she didn't like appearances of 
weakness or that she couldn't make it happen. And so she tried to handle a lot of it herself. And that, that led to extreme stress on her part, you know, fig, trying to figure out how to build a career, take care of her kids. Plus she's got this, this kid that's, that's being kind of a little, you know, a little pain in the butt, a little menace. Yeah, yeah. And I was intelligent, so I would twist her mind in some ways and different things, you know, and, and she had her parts in it too. She was, she was very, uh, she would get emotionally aggressive and abusive at times with her stresses and stuff, you know. Um, not excusing that behavior, you know, but the thing that parents go through, you know, I'm a parent now today, so I, I understand some of the stresses and the choices that you make are critical to, to what you do, right? So you know, every moment is just a different, you know, what do I do right here in this moment? And so mom so had her, her stuff in that, but she, she tried to do it alone. And one of the things when I got to be about 13, 14 years old, discipline was almost impossible with me uh, because I was bigger than her now. And so as far as like her having any kind of physical ability to overcome sure. what I was doing, wasn't, that wasn't an option for her. Um, she would try to penalize me with you know, disciplinary things like, I'm not gonna help you do this, you're gonna do whatever, you're, I'm gonna ground you, but she's at work. As soon as she was gone, I would figure out ways to, I'm out. Yeah, I, yeah. I, would, I would just start doing whatever I wanted. And that eventually, I think, wore her down, you know, to a point where she just kind of, not accepted, acceptance isn't the word, but just kind of went into denial. Yeah, what, what, what else what am I gonna I do? do? Yeah. What can I do? I've done everything I can. Yeah, so, um, so she, she attempted. And she, uh, was she a religious person? Was she? She was. Okay. She was. And was your dad too? Uh, the, raised that way, but no. No. I okay. wouldn't. I wouldn't say that he was religious at all. Uh, my brother and sister, obviously, going on missions. They both are devout in their faith today. Yeah. My mom is is still, uh, and but it just and for me, the rebellious side of me, I started to poke holes into it. I started sure. to be the kind of guy I would listen to music that purposely had a message that was anti-christian or anything like that and i would you know wear the t-shirts and i would start doing that thing for the shock value and eat drinking so much of my own kool-aid that i'd start to kind of believe it you know but deep down inside i never i never truly did you know i i live today in my adult life the moral compass that i was raised as a child and i've always known that to be tr true you know what i mean the uh. doing the next right thing uh. taking care of the world around you doing, but I did spend a lot of years fighting that inside of myself with my choices, and that was a living hell for sure. Why do you think, uh, what was it about it? That, I mean, why, why do you feel like you had that, you know, like, there's so much to learn from, from you, and like, if somebody's listening and feels kind of the same, like, what, what did you, have you been able to identify, like, why, why did I feel so much, why did I want to be so opposite of what, was expected, you know? I think when you're young, um, there's, there's emotions, there's, there's feelings, there's anger, there's anxiety, there's questions about why do things work the way that they do. And if you're, you know, for me, I didn't have a dad there, you know, and I, and I, I look back on my life, I spent a lot of time searching for a father figure. And I picked poor choices in my own personal choices for them, huh. you know. And so I think that we are, a, you know, we're a malleable 
sponge yeah. that is trying to yeah. decipher who am I, what's this sure. all about, you know, in those young years. Yeah. And people are trying to guide you all the way. They're, you know, teachers, counselors, your parents. Um, I came from a good background. There's people out there, though, that are dealing with, like I said, the multi-generational uh, dysfunctions that they've had in their family and, and they don't even have an opportunity to <coughs> excuse me to uh, overcome some of that because they're, they're being reinforced and, and that wasn't in my home you know I was I was definitely being chastised and directed towards you know what I should be doing and for me I, I think there was a <coughs> my mom used to always tell me you, you only function under your own authority you know mm-hmm. that I was very I, I was I was anti-authoritarian in uh-huh. a lot of ways um, uh-huh. growing up, and there were things that appealed to me. If 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 you were an authority figure that I don't know had particular attributes or things that I saw that I could respect, I would follow what you said. But for the most part, I had to be the one to decide what I wanted to do, you know. And, and I think that was, I think a large part of it probably came from the absence of a father. In the I'm not blaming it on him. It's not sure. his fault. It's not her fault. But looking back now and being a parent myself today, I, I can see, you know, the necessity for some of these things. Yeah. Um, and it and it was an identity. It gave me something to feel unique about, to feel special about. You know, and I, I think every kid, yeah. every person's looking for that. You know, sure. what, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? Especially those teenage years, it's mm-hmm. difficult anyway. Yeah. Like social socially trying to fit in, and and, and I. You know, like you said, the leadership kind of qualities that I had, you want to have a purpose. I think yeah. I think I was a purpose-driven person. Yeah. And I just... Didn't, didn't have your purpose. Yeah. yeah. And I, well, and the, I did. I, okay. I got a yeah. purpose. It was just <laughs> the point. wrong one. Yeah. And that was just a lack of, a lack of really respecting, you know, what, what it was going to take. Uh, so... And also, at such a young age, lack of direction. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think of conversations I've had with my kids. Uh, one of my kids, uh, you know, we're having a really heart-to-heart discussion because, like you said, as your parent, you're just trying to figure it out, and you screw up a lot. Yeah. And I was apologizing to him because I, I yelled at him, and I was just, I was, I was not proud of my parenting, and, and he said to me something like, "I'm sorry for being a jerk," and I said, "Wait a sec, you're, you know, he's young. I'm like, you're yeah. not a jerk. No, 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 no. My overreaction isn't you." That's my problem. Yeah. And just, you know, like, there's kids' minds, they're so, like you said, malleable. And they need, they need, like, they need that structure and that direction. And so. Well, and when you're, when you're a teenager, you are, you know, naturally trying to become independent. Yeah. And, but you don't know how. Sure. And that's, that's it, is there's this draw to try to be, try to adult. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you get exposed to some of the wrong things, I think at certain times, um, making choices like drinking or using drugs or having sex or different things like that seem like adult choices sure. to a young mind. To fast forward, you yes, do that. and it doesn't because if you don't have the sure. skills, you don't have the yeah. knowledge and the understanding to, you know, the boundaries, the different things that you have to build to become an adult, and you're exposed to some of those things, you can trick yourself. And you can tell yourself, oh, well, especially drugs and, and alcohol and stuff because they make you feel so good. It's a counterfeit feeling towards life, right? You're supposed sure. to be going through life, building connections and relationships and, 
and, and failing and fixing your failures and doing those things. And that's where that sense of purpose and accomplishment and identity is supposed to come from. But if you add a chemical into your body that tricks your, your mind and your system into thinking, well, this is, everything's good. This is way better than, this is the best I've ever felt. I could skip all that stuff. Yeah, in those yeah. moments, then you don't build that. You don't, you don't spend the time building that character yeah. and those things. And so a lot of those components were at play in, in my life. And I, I was intelligent, you know, too smart for my own good, I think, in some ways, yeah. right? It, it, that can be, that can work against you because I would get away with this or get away with that. I would I feel could. like I had outsmarted certain things. And then that would reinforce that behavior to me. And that became, you know, kind of a way of life. At, in those teenage years, uh, the partying, you know, everybody experiments. Everybody messes around with stuff. Everybody, you know, tries different things. And I remember there being multiple times where um, close friends of mine, you know, they would they'd have a bad experience with a party or doing something like that. And, you know, 180 degree change, right? They'd, they'd get back on track and say, that's not for me anymore, this, that, or the other. And that happened, you know, I, I think that's normal for everybody at that age when you're hitting 16, 17, 18 years old. People are trying this, doing that, trying to figure out what they want to do. And that your paths start to, you know, they, they start to diverge. And for me, rather than getting with the picture as I watched friends become more responsible and start pursuing things like college or careers or, you know, family or other things like that, right? Um, I just kept on partying. And so what happens in that case for me and, and what I recognize today is that the responsible influences, even if they were just small or whatever start to leave your life because they're like I'm not going to do what you're doing mm. you know and, and instead of that being a, a warning sign to me I didn't I didn't get it I didn't sure. get that at the time and so as those influences move on with their life and they're doing bigger bigger better things with themselves I'm kind of left with the people that share the same habits as me yeah. and oftentimes the people that I would buy drugs from or, or that I didn't really even have any connection with other than that drug thing they started to fill those gaps right sure and then the behaviors that they had, there was a lot of, of criminal behaviors and a lot of other things. And so you start getting exposed to the other people's habits. You know, one of my mantras today and one of the things that I always remind myself and remind other people that I'm mentoring is you are the sum total of the people you spend your time with. And you that, that was rolling around in my head. I've heard that so much lately. And yeah. it's so true. The people you, what is it, the five people you surround yourself with. Yep. That's how you're going to think. Yeah. That's how you're going to behave. You want to, so you want to see who you are. Yeah. Look at who you spend your time with. Yeah. And then because they will, they will either correct you if you're, if you're in a, in the wrong place or they'll keep, let you keep doing what you're doing, yeah. depending on, you know, where they're at. Or yeah. Whatever. And so that was, so you true. know, in the, in the early twenties. Um, so did you graduate high school then? I did graduate high so, school by the by the just really? by the skin of my teeth. So yeah. you're you're going into high school with four and then just probably kind of... about junior year dropped off. I think I graduated with a two point oh. Wow. You know, and uh, actually moved out of my mom's house when I was seventeen. You know, there was there was things where did she, she kick you out or is no? She did you? not kick me out. That was my you just said I'm I'm out. Yeah, my desire to not do what she wanted me to do. I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be told what to do. I didn't want anybody. Yeah. You know that juvenile arrogance oh. and 16 years old uh, you know one of the disciplinary actions she tried to do with me and trying to get my behavior back together was I'm not gonna help you buy a car so to me that she said you're gonna have to figure out yourself well so I did and I tricked 
not tricked, but I, I manipulated one of my friend's dads into co-signing a loan for me. And, you know, I pulled in my mom's driveway in a, in a new sports car and said, look, I don't need you. And it was wow. shortly thereafter that I told her I'm moving out of your house, yeah. moved into an apartment with a couple of buddies of mine and just absolutely no supervision, no, you know, and, and, and that fell apart real quickly. It just, sure. you know, escalated everything. So you can see all these different components that are, that are coming into play. And I'm my own worst enemy because I'm just not listening to sound advice, right? I'm going to figure it out for myself. And, and so early 20s, most of the responsible influences in my life have walked away or I've pushed them away with my own behaviors, those types of things. Um, I've decided I'm just going to work, you know, rather than going to college. I, I think I did a semester of college and I had dreams. There were things that I wanted to do with, with myself. Uh, very creative person. I wanted to get into the realm of like advertising and stuff. And, just dipped my toe in the water at college, but decided I'm gonna just go work a job in construction um, because the the dollar amount on the check was more important to me than the investing in my future, sure. right? So sure. I found a job where I was making more money than, than the other people my age because they were busy doing other things with themselves. They're, they're building their, And I, yeah. I would boast, yeah. you know, boast about that and build my own ego. And so just starting to go yeah. down this path of immediate gratification and then the partying just continued. Um, and that starts to unwind, you know, the, the, obviously I already have some lack of character in a lot of ways that are just natural to it, but when you add the drugs and the alcohol, it just erodes whatever you've got left anyways. Because just because you have to justify or... Yeah, I, I'm not a believer that drugs and alcohol make you a bad person, but I do believe that they, they will you know, just exaggerate any problems that you have, right? Sure. And so my underlying problems were just gas, gasoline on a fire, right? Yeah. And so I get into the criminal stuff. Like I said, you know, I'm spending a lot of time with people that are involved in criminal behaviors. I would kind of... Is this to fund so you can do the... It, some of it is. Some of it is... You're working too, right? Yeah, I'm working. working construction, is that yeah, what you said? Yep. But that's slowly starting to unwind itself because... I'm not showing up to work on time. The yeah. other things are, you know, my my mind is scattered all the time because of the drugs I'm on and, and I'm, I'm not performing, I'm not doing that stuff. And I start to want to spend more time running the streets, doing that stuff, rather than, you know, go in and work a eight to 12 hour day at work and then, you know, party at night. Then then the partying at night starts to chip into the day. And then before you know it, you're, you're not reliable, you're, you're getting in confrontations, you're doing certain things. So before long, your priorities shift, employment no longer becomes important to you. At least that's what yeah. it was for me. The, and so you have to find a way to support the habit, you have to find a way to put money in your pocket, mm -hmm. all these different things, and I'm surrounded by people that do it in devious ways. Yeah. And so I, I look at them and I go, well, if this guy can do it, I can definitely do it. And start yeah. delving into that world of you know, petty theft and breaking into people's cars or, you know, stuff like that, that, that eventually leads into like felonious behaviors that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that brings with it a new addiction is this rush, right? This adrenaline rush mm -hmm. of that criminal lifestyle. And so basically all I've become now is just somebody that is based my, my choices and my 
purpose is based completely off some form of stimulation. You know, whether it's drugs, or whether the rush it's of adrenaline. Yeah, exactly. Whether it's, uh, you know, feeling like I've got some kind of reputation from these people that are just, you know, not living good lives, sure. right? And so that's, that, that becomes my story. And in my early 20s, I start having the run-ins with the law. And uh, 20, I want to say 22 years old, get arrested for the first time, um, end up going to jail for, you know, a brief period. And, and I didn't come from a background where, you know, parole or probation or people that had been in trouble, that was never a part of my family life or really any of the friendships that I had growing up, you know, very minuscule. Maybe there was somebody in high school that his cousin got in trouble for something, but, but that wasn't a part of my life. So I get introduced to the criminal justice system at this point. Did and you, so that first time arrested, did you call your mom and say, of course, hey, can you bail me out? Of and, course. You know, and was she I'll, like, okay, I'll come. Um, or what was, cause you'd moved out five years yep. previous, right? Yep. And I had so, done the, I had done the move out, come back, move out, you yeah. know, just, just life a wreck, just yeah. different little things where, and so mom has always been there for me. She's, she's, you know, in some ways, uh, looking back now, enabled, enabled some of my stuff. Um, but yeah, of course, mom's always the first call. Anybody that goes to jail, mom or mom's the first call. significant other is always yeah. the first call. Hey, come get me out of this jam I got myself in. Which I think, you know, especially for single moms, it's, it's like, you know, even though you yeah, use the word enabling, it's like they get such a raw deal. Yeah. You know, they're working their tails off. They're trying to manage that. And yet, you know, and they're just, they just love you so much. They're trying to help. And you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, she, man. you know, her goal was always, I just, yeah. I just want him to survive. Yeah. I don't want him to die. I don't want uh. him to, you know, make more poor choices. Yeah. But she's never had to deal with this. She's never had to yeah. deal with... Like she never had to be bailed out or no. there's no history of that yes. in your family. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. I'm, how do these pieces work? I went to the police department bailing out. Yeah. And so, you know, mom, um, I think she did bail me out the first time. Um, and I was right back to it, you know, right back to the things that I, that I was doing and they just increased and increased. And I was the kind of guy that it wasn't like I'd do a little bit here of something, you know, uh, whether it be drugs or it be criminal behavior. It was like I would go all in. That was <laughs> yeah. like I was. Uh, that's just. Uh, that's the way how my I life too. is. Yeah, that's like that's I'm the way in. my life yeah. is. Um, mm -hmm. I remember I, you know, go big or go home was always a thing, and I, I remember having a, a, a woman tell me one time, you know, that's the way you live your life, and sometimes you just need to go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so that that was it. Crime sprees. It turned into. How, how much can I do to outsmart this and that? And then it just became a way of life. Uh, so by the time I'm, I'm 23, I have felony charges. I've started into the probation system. I've spent time in jail, you know, whether it was, I want to say the first time in jail was probably a couple of weeks, then out for a couple of weeks, then back in for a year, then out for a month or two. I think the, after I did a year in jail, one of the first times I, I took off, I was supposed to be on probation, I took off on the run and was a fugitive and just doing this just nightmare lifestyling. And, and let me step back to once you get exposed to the criminal justice system and you get put into jail, jail is not, jail is not really designed, at least the way that we have it set up now. There's, there's definitely programs and there's different things that they have going on where they're 
their intent is to try to help people get their lives together and do something different. But really, the only purpose that jail does serve that I think it is it keeps the community safe from the people that are in the jail. And I think that's a necessary thing. But what's going on inside of there is just a master's program in criminal behavior. Because you go in there and you're learning more yeah and it's oh. not it's not you you learn you know what are the rules of the street that you got to live by what are the rules inside of this jail that you've got to live by uh, you learn how to be more manipulative you learn how to get what you want from within a very confined space right like you've got nothing really coming in jail but you figure out the loopholes and you figure out the different things and you've got guys that have spent decades of their life locked up in jail and prison teaching you the ropes of how it's going to be and and so it really is just like a, you know, an Ivy League criminal camp. You know, let's let's accelerate what you've already been doing. Wow. And so that I've was... I've never heard that before, but it makes sense. Yeah. Sure. You know, and, and that's not to say everybody. Some people go sure. to jail, right? They, they made a bad choice. They end up in there for a weekend. They say, man, that was stupid. But that's by and large not, not how, it's, how it goes, yeah. you know, especially when you have addiction and you have other things like that. And so... That just expounded, and, and I, I think at that point I had to identified myself as I am a, I'm a criminal, I am a lost cause, I am somebody who is going to squeeze whatever I can out of life at whatever cost it is to those around me. Uh -huh. I don't care. It's all about it's all this world's hard, you know, all just just these very juvenile teenage thoughts, but now in a grown man's body of I'm going to show the world type yeah. stuff. And so that, that continued on, you know, I got opportunities to go into different programs and things as like, let's try to get you on track because a lot of times, uh, judges, cops, um, probation officers, they would see something in me that they said, you know, you've got potential. You could be so much bigger than what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And there, there are, but there were, their hands were tied too, because I'd continue to make the same poor decisions. And so they have to, you know, so I, I did inpatient treatment programs. I did a drug court program. I, I did all this and never in any of those times was I ever like honest with myself or honest with anybody around me about the problems that I have. I'd be a victim in the moment that it would suit me and then I would be the villain in another moment when it would suit me and I would just figure out what that was because I hadn't spent any time building my character and building a life for myself. So I played that game. You know, that was the, that was the situation I had put myself in and I wasn't really figuring out a way to get out of it. I ended up in uh, prison for the first time when I was 26, uh, 26, 27 years old in, in prison. Did about three years, got out for a few months, went back in for a year, got out for a couple months, went back in for a couple of years. You know, and each one of these things is just another criminal spree after another, you know, until you become a, a known person in your area, right? So I'm, I'm ravaging the, the community around me. I'm just involved in all kinds of stuff. So in 2015, I was out of prison uh, for the fourth time and same behavior, same stuff, just, just living this self-centered, hedonistic, just ugly lifestyle and end up picking a whole bunch of new charges up. Uh, and with my record and, and where, you know, the way I'd lived my life, uh, I was looking at probably going to prison for the next 10 or 15 years. So before we go forward, yeah, 
<clears throat> so now you're 30 something. I would have been I would have been about 35 years old at this point. You're 35. Yep. You've talked about kind of in and out of jail and everything else. What about personally? Did you had you developed loves? You know, had you oh, developed sure. relationships? I mean, there was relationships, but to call it love would yeah. be would be a, a serious disrespect to what the word what I know the word sure. love to be today. Okay. Um, they were codependent. They were dysfunctional relationships. We yeah. were people that used one another for what we were doing. They you know, when you're when you're when you love somebody, you protect them. Uh-huh. You don't bring chaos and pain and uh, you know danger into their life. That's that's what love is, and and I, that's what all the things that I brought into relationships with me, whether that was an intimate relationship with a woman or whether that was friendships that I had. You know, uh, loyalty to me was. You know, don't mess with what you do. You, I'll do me. Don't mess with what I go got going on, and yeah. I won't mess with what you go, got going on. And so it was totally upside down, and it was twisted, and it was it was dysfunctional. Um, did you have any kids in this time? I did not. Uh-huh. At least none that I know of. Yeah. So, you okay. know, I put it that way. Uh, yeah. So I, I didn't have any children, and and that was you know probably a blessing for anybody that would have been my child. Sure. Um, I have you know I talked earlier that I'm. I'm doing a parent thing today I'm a stepdad today mm. to a teenager so wow and but no I didn't and and I also contributed to many mothers and fathers and brothers sisters I, I, I contributed to the downfall of many families with my behavior I became a drug dealer I became involved in I would be okay with um, you know people that that were in compromised situations that are on welfare and stuff like that I'd be all right with taking their money from them and using it for what I wanted to stealing that out of their kids mouth you know that they're they're not taking care of their children well anyways and I'm contributing to that I'm reinforcing that so it was just an ugly just an ugly lifestyle you know And, and and it's crazy when you live in a particular lifestyle you think that that's how the world works you know I remember I remember being in prison and that becomes your there's a belief system in there you know there's there's that belief system that that is prevalent in there you buy into it you you take it on and you tell yourself that's how the world works and I remember having a an eye-opening moment one day as I was reading through statistics about like I'm like I'm curious how many people in the United States because you always hear the United States is let's send everybody to prison thing yeah so I wanted to look up some statistics about you know how many people actually go to prison out of the population of the United States, and it's like less than one percent. It's like a it's a fraction of one percent of oh. of the country. So I, you know, I, if that's the statistics, yeah. whatever. But that's what it was, and it dawned on me right there in that moment. And this was kind of one of those times where I was trying to do something different with myself. So I was, I was trying to take in information that would be beneficial to that. And I was like, wow, man, I've really I've modeled the way that I see the world and how I think things are off of a mindset that is shared by less than 1% of the population. And I've told myself that's reality. Wow. So, you know, that, and that's, I think that's a common thing with people that get caught up in different belief systems and different things is like, you think that the way you see it is how everybody is how, yeah, so or true. how it is. And that's just not so reality. True. I know? think it's the, the same with religion. I think it's the same with everything. politics, politics, everything. 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 You see the world through your glasses and, I think it's interesting for you when you're saying that because even, you know, you're, you're obviously a very intelligent, uh, you know, even your analytic, your analytical thought process, like 
I'm gonna do some research on the data, but you know who's in prison and yeah. Anyway, it just yeah, it speaks to it speaks it speaks to. It's it's like one of those things where I'm, when I'm listening to you, I'm like, you know what? Uh, I guess it doesn't matter how smart you are, that these things can get a hold of any of us. Yeah, you know what I mean. You've got to get it's out of like, your own way. You're yeah. Like, if even if you're smart, if you're yeah, your intelligence, intelligence, wealth, you know genetics any of any of these things that are kind of like you didn't get to create they are just you maybe something you're born into yeah. or something that you, by whatever stroke of luck you landed in or stroke of being unlucky I guess yeah. either way really none of those factors will define your life what I've found is that it's character your 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 presence of character or your lack thereof huh. really you know you can take any of these things you could you know that's that's what my life has taught me so uh, character is what determines and how do you define how do you define character um, I think I think character is you know character well my one of my good friends Dave you know yeah. you know Dave Derosher yeah. he he put it one way if you have if you have character nothing else matters and if you mm -hmm. don't have character nothing else matters huh and so it's, you know, that's just kind of a cliche that doesn't explain it yeah. very well, but, but character is the driving force behind what do you do? What do you do in moments of ease? What do you do in moments of hard times? What do you do? Uh, what do you do? What, mm -hmm. what is it that you, you are willing to do, whether that be sacrifice, whether that be courage, whether that be, you know, uh, charity, Right, those are all those are positive things that I'm sure. listing off there. Or is it? Am I going to be greedy? Am I going to be duplicitous? Am I yeah. right? So all of these factors lie in. So I think yeah. the character is is who. So the character, what, all the positive attributes, lack of character is. Yeah. The, the what do you believe? How much do you believe it? Why do you believe it? And what are you going to do with that belief, right? Like, and yeah. I think that character is that filter that that's pushed through. Sure. I mean, for me, I'm not a religious man. I'm not, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not of any particular faith, but I have, I have a spiritual faith in the world around me, in us as a human race, yeah. in these different things that really gives me purpose. I believe there's right and wrong. I believe that there's good and evil. You know, and, and when you start getting into over analyzing some of these things and, and, and permissing behaviors that are evil in your life and, you know, shaming behaviors that are good and vice versa, you know, you can get in this really ugly place. Yeah. And I, I fear, you know, our world today is, is, is caught up in a lot of that stuff. It's hard today, you know, to make sense of what's right, what's wrong, you know, these different things. And I think each person has to determine that for themselves, but if you don't have some kind of faith, in, and I'm, again, I'm not speaking religiously, sure. faith in something bigger, like sure. there's a reason for, yeah. there, there is good, there is bad, there's right, there's wrong. Yeah. When you start telling yourself, well, right and wrong is all subjective, right? Yeah. That's when you get into a dangerous place, and that's where I lived for a long time. Yeah. So I think that's where character comes from, is is the definition of that, of, of what is what is your driving <laughs> force, right? So you're uh, you're at this point where you're saying uh, fourth time, 
your fifth time. Fifth I'm time. headed back. You're heading back. Heading back for the fifth time. Yeah. So, so I have a feeling we're going to be introduced to the other side academy. Correct. Like, so tell me, yeah, tell me about that. What, so, what happens next? I mean, I am at my rock bottomest. Um, like I said, that that part of me that was my soul or whatever you want to call it that was raised to know right and wrong. Yeah. I've lived against that for such a long period of time, and and not to say that it's been a nonstop. Just I'm an evil person. Yeah. But that was a majority of my choices for sure. But there were moments of time in there sure. where I wanted to do something different. And I would attempt to do something different, uh, but I never really understood what it was going to take. Mm-hmm. You know, it was going to take everything that I, I had to basically recreate myself. And yeah. I didn't have, I wasn't ready for that. And so at this point where I'm, I'm ready to, I'm getting ready to head back to prison, um, everything, all my past choices, my reputation, the things that I've done, my actions, excuse me, have caught up to me and it's time to face the music, right? Mm. Like this is, this is it. And, and not only that, not only just the consequences of the legal system or the community is like, we've had enough of you, but the, the inside of myself, the, the self-deception that I've pulled on myself for so many years of living against that, which I know was the right way to live mm. has eaten away at me, you know? And there was this it felt like whatever light was inside of me was about to be extinguished, you know, just this dark place that I was at. And I remember I was in jail and I'm going through the legal process of, you know, am I gonna fight these charges, try to get them down to whatever, you know, just, and and I know you don't understand because you haven't been in those positions, you've lived a, a pretty responsible life, but there's this, you know, this game where you're trying to sidestep accountability and how can I shoot some loopholes and how can I do this or that? And and the real you knows that like, I'm guilty of all this and more, but I've got to try, I'm, I want to mitigate this. I want to, just give me a second chance, God, if you can get me out of, yeah. out of this, right, I'll do something different. And I'd said that hundreds of times. Anyway, so I'm, I'm in jail, um, you know, I'm sharing with a cellmate of mine you know, my story, my situation, what's going on. And he says, well, man, I, I just heard about it. He goes, it sounds like you're screwed, dude. It sounds like you're screwed, you know? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, but I, I heard about this place that had just opened in Salt Lake City. Mm. And and this is probably maybe two months after the Academy had, had started here. So it was 2015? 2015, yeah. And he says, it's like, it's this place that's like some last chance, like it's for habitual offenders it's for guys that are like career criminals and it's run by a bunch of ex-convicts you know and it's like it's like this last shot opportunity for people you know and he goes sounds like something for you and i and i'm like well what is it and he's like i don't even know what the name of it is we, he didn't know it was you know this brand new thing and so it just that kind of sat on the back of my mind and he went to court one day you know and so, and so this is a period of time this is over a few months that we are cellmates together and 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 he comes back from court and he goes, hey, that place I was telling you about, it's called the Other Side Academy. So I reach out to my mom and, and say, hey, can you check on this place and see what it takes? And I'm talking to my attorney and they present this to the prosecutor and the prosecutor's like, no, we're not giving you any more chances. We're not, you're done. You know what I mean? You, you're at the point now where you can either take this plea deal that we're giving you and go with that, which was not looking good that was 10 or 15 years or you can try to fight some of this stuff and what you may be able to get beat because of some legal loopholes or whatever the rest of the stuff we're gonna lay you down for so either way we've got you we're done we're done messing around with you yeah and 
Man, it's got to be such a oh, devastating I feeling. Mean, I was, I was your, physically your like there was, I was going through physical health issues yeah. due to the stress and yeah. and just the the stuff that I had put myself into. You know, yeah. it's not the prosecutor's fault. It's not the judge's fault. It's not the police. It was me. I had created yeah. this situation for myself once again, and. So whatever happened was just like, I, you know, it's a lot to get into, but there was just like one circumstance after another where certain things just lined up and I was given this opportunity to go to the other side academy. Like it was, I, I, I'll just briefly touch on it. So I'm, I'm at the point where I'm gonna take this to jury trial, this case that I have, because I'm like, I'm just gonna do what I have to do. My attorney's telling me, you know, we can beat a couple of these things, but it's not, it's not looking, looking good, good. Oh. but we'll do what you want to do. And I'm just in my head trying to figure out how I'm going to do this. And right in the middle of that, I mean, I think we were actually going in the next day or so to set up jury selection. And my attorney tells me, hey, the prosecutor on, that was on this case has gone to another county and they're bringing in another guy. And the academy thing had already been shot down and, and I'm, I'm like... What, somewhere a light bulb goes off in my head when he tells me this, and they change the prosecution. I said, well, why don't we ask him about the academy? And he says, they already said no. And I, I said, yeah, but you said it's a new prosecutor, right? And he goes, yeah. And I said, I feel like you should ask him. Wow. You know, so it was like just one of these moments, something's telling me. And it's not your legal counsel that's telling you that you're just you're Yeah, just and like, my legal counsel should, was even like, we should ask again. he said, you know what? If that's what you want me to do, I'll walk over to the district attorney's office right now and ask him. He says, but I don't think it's gonna happen. So he, he did, he left me in the jail and the visit, goes over there and he comes back, they pull me back in and he says, I asked him and he said, he'll, he'll do it under one agreement that you're gonna plead guilty to everything that you've been charged with. So this is your last shot. Basically, the prosecutor had sent somebody to this academy before, somebody similar to me that had a very long criminal record um, and the guy had split and they had done the same kind of deal that you're done if you do this. And so, kind of on a roll of the dice, on a bet from the prosecutor that I was gonna fail, they gave me the opportunity to go to the other side academy. Can we take a little break? Sure. I gotta go to the restroom, I've been drinking Are too much. Going too long? Dude, no, you're, dude, this is so freaking good. I, I, dude. You're freaking. You know, I don't know, do you need to go to the bathroom? I see, I just see. No, I went right before I came in here, so. No problem.
That's why I don't drink that coffee. <laughs> well, the combination of both doesn't help. <laughs> um, okay, where were we? Uh, uh, you, Side Academy. You, you pled guilty, so you get in. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that's when I got a second chance. You know, that gamble that the prosecutor was willing to take blew my mind. So, so literally I went from this just end of my life. I'm going to rot in prison. I'm going to be one of these old men that dies in there. And I've, I've seen it, you know, I've seen the, the case of, you know, here I am, I'm approaching my forties at this time. I've already spent 11 years of my life locked up. I know that if I go in here at this time, I'm, this is going to be, it. I'm just not that I'll die on this stay or anything like that, but I've watched, I are, I know I'm, I'm aware enough that this this is you're not getting back out of it at this point. I go into this for I'm getting out when I'm in my late 40s. I'm not doing anything different with my life. The, the ship has sailed. The chance to do something different is it's gone. It's gone. And so here it is. I get that chance, right? And so overnight, Dave Derosher, the director of the Other Side Academy, he's coming to pick me up, and. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. All I know is that I just got out of a prison sentence that I can't believe that this just happened. And the unfortunate thing with somebody like me or a drug addict is we're very quick to forget the amazing stroke of luck that just saved our life, right? And so I come to the academy and the academy is a two-year program that is based off of behavior modification. It's based off of, we're gonna change the character thing that I talked yeah. about. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna help you build a character. We're gonna help you yeah. uh, fix the problems that have created your problems. And, you know, it's not drugs and alcohol that are your problem. It's not, um, you know, lack of employment. It's not any of these things. It's just the fact that you're a liar, you're a cheat, you're a thief, you're a manipulator, you have no accountability, you're self-centered, all of those things. That's your problem. And so that's what the Academy's mindset is. And the Academy is run by ex-convicts and ex-drug addicts that have been through the same exact rope that you have. And, and what we do is it's a they know your game. Yeah, it's a they therapeutic community and they've, yeah. and they've put their life together. So it's really yeah. hard to come in and, you know, a doctor, a counselor, a clinician, you know, you, you can learn the answers that you give them to check the box and you can play the victim and you can say, oh, but this happened to me when I was young. And you know, all these reasons, which that's not to say that those situations or things that happen to people throughout their life don't help guide the path that they get on. Sure. But at the end of the day, you're, you're responsible for your choices. Yeah. Because there's people in this world that have had the worst things in the world happen to them and they've turned into the greatest people. And there's people that have had their life handed to them and on a silver platter and they've turned into the worst people and there's everything in between right yeah. so to say yeah. that this causes this or that yeah. causes that is really negligible uh. our personal choices cause it so that's what the academy does we focus on yeah. right here in the moment right here right now this this choice you're about to make is going to have a ripple effect through life and and let's fix that so when you come to the academy you're you're basically told this is a second chance on life we don't care what you did before you got here. We don't care where you came from. We don't care what got you here. What we care about is what you're gonna do right now. And that's a really hard position for somebody who has 
anybody really. It doesn't just have to be a criminal person or anybody. It's very hard for somebody to do an immediate 180 on their choices, yeah. right? Sure. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. Like you're corrected over and over again. You're asked not to talk about your past when you come to the academy. Because, and the reason for that is we want to we want to give you a fresh start. We want you to start right now. We want you to display the behaviors that you have with you so that we can take those apart and we can fix them. Mm. Um, you know, drug addicts, drug deal. you know, it's always the fish was this big. I was doing, you know, this is how much money I had. It's, everything's been retold and, and this identity and these stories just regurgitated over and over again for years until they've gotten twisted beyond all belief. They're over-exaggerated or they're minimized to the damages or the, the reality of it. It's just a self-serving story. And so if you eliminate that story from somebody being able to talk about, you immediately have to teach them how to start talking about new things. And that's, that's an interesting process, you know? Interesting. Yeah. And so that's, that's one of those things you're, you're asked to be accountable um, at the academy, which is to say that we, we have this principle called 200% accountability. And what that means is I'm 100% accountable for my actions but I'm also 100% accountable for your actions, right? We're sitting in this room oh. together. So if you're doing anything that you shouldn't be doing that could harm you, could harm me, could harm anyone around us that is below the expectations of what we're trying to do and I don't speak up or say something to you about it, I don't correct you and I don't bring it to light, then I'm just as guilty of that action as you are. So you can imagine teaching some ex-convicts and drug addicts to start looking at life this way. Right? Yeah, it's a whole new way. It's a whole new way. And it's, it's, it's even like a higher way than most people in just the regular yeah. world live. So needless to say, there's some growing pains. There is some you know, serious shifts that you have to make as a person. And that's why the academy is two years long. It's two years minimum. You can stay as long as you want yeah. to. Um, I remember I went to one of the graduation ceremonies uh, at that church right by the other side of Academy on mm -hmm. um, 7th East. And, um, and Joseph Granny got up and said, uh, he just said, you know, the, 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 the talking about kind of that 200% accountability. I didn't hear him say 200%, but he was just talking about how, you know, it's a, there's this delicate, um, I can't remember what he said, uh, well, image we have, or there's a delicate, it's uh, fragile, it's fragile, it's fragile, this culture, this, uh, this thing we have. And he's like, you know, the other side Academy, uh, can you can destroy what we've built in one day you in can. one action and we put all this time and effort to building this and like it's 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 so anyway that just rung a bell when you talked about yeah. 200 percent and those are those are the principles and those are the things that that you can overlook easily in life right you it can take a lifetime yeah. to build as you know if you want to talk about business yeah or you want to talk about a you know a career or or dreams that you've wanted to realize you could spend decades yeah. to a lifetime building something and you can destroy it all in a moment with a choice. Yeah. And so reinforcing yeah. that into, into people like us who haven't really given much thought to the consequences of our choices, not only for ourselves, you know, I did a lot of damage to myself in my life and I caused myself a, a lot of pain with my choices, mm -hmm. but nowhere near the amount of pain I caused other people around me mm -hmm. that were completely innocent of that, yeah. you know, and, and I was on, I don't want to say I was unaware of it, but I was, I did not give it the gravity sure. that it, that it deserved. Sure. <clears throat> and so I came to the academy I'm, I'm learning all these new principles of, or, or, you know, being reminded and reeducated on 
what matters in life, the, the, the priorities, and there's expectations that if you're gonna live here at the academy, these are the, this is the way you're gonna live. And there's not a lot of like real gentle, oh, well, you'll get it when you yeah. do. Our belief at the academy is we're gonna throw you right into it. We're gonna ask you to, to live by the same standards that people that have been here for years have been living by. And we know you're gonna bump your head along the way, but we're not gonna baby you and say, oh, it's okay, you'll figure it out. We're gonna hold you to that same expectation immediately from the get-go because and and I think it's very effective because that's the only way you're actually gonna learn it yeah you're either gonna you're either gonna say okay this is important to me I want to do this differently I know I'm gonna butt my head against this a few different times and but it, but it matters to me and I'm gonna stick around and I'm gonna walk through that fire that it takes to change these things or I'm gonna leave and go do the same thing I've always done and that's the Academy it's an open door yeah. Policy, you can, leave, you can, you can, can leave, leave anytime you want. Of course, in your case, who you knows leave, what's yeah, who knows what's on the other side yeah. of that door for you. So I've I've talked to a few members of the other side academy and it seems like they get into the other side academy, it's like, oh I'm gonna okay, I just gotta do this crap. I gotta be in here for two years and then I can go do what I wanna do. Mm -hmm. uh, was that your case? And if it was, what point did it switch to where you really absorbed and believed what what was going on there and you're like you know what this is I'm gonna do this for me that was my mindset so I came in there you know basically they had just got me out of a prison sentence so I was like I'll do whatever they want me to do to to beat this prison sentence but I've already got my game plan in place I'm, I'm just gonna quit using drugs I'm gonna quit doing these couple of things I'm gonna do you know do this two years and get on with my life well little did I know that I would be you know, living this lifestyle that they're doing there, and it would start to have an effect on me. Now, I was no angel when I got there. I didn't immediately take off with, with believing this stuff. Um, I, I always, saw, when I first got there, I remember thinking, I'm like, this is, is this like a cult or something? Is this like, mm -hmm. like everybody hears, you know, yeah. they're being so respectful to each other. And I'm like, these are all, I know yeah. some of these people from before. This yeah. isn't who they are. Uh -huh. And so I, I, you know, I would, I would poke holes in, in how things were. Um, I had a convict mentality when I got there, so I would seek out other people that maybe weren't 100% about change. And there it is, there's that. You are the people that you spend your time with. So I had a what I call a dirt magnet, right? Like I can find the dirtiest people real quick. Uh, and and so I would, I would go through the motions of what was being asked of me. I, I had done enough programming and I had done enough rehabilitation stuff to know, okay, what are your, the I can jump through hoops, I can do that. But this was deep, this was like deeper intrinsic things that they wanted you to change about yourself. And you're surrounded by other people just like you that are holding you to this level. So it's, it's you, you can manipulate it, you can twist it, you can do whatever, but it's only a matter of time until it exposes itself, the things about you that you need to change. And so I had done some things when I first got there, one of them being that I maintained contact with uh, my girlfriend that I came into to this situation with you know we'd made these undying promises that we were gonna stick it out for each other just this garbage but one of the things at the Academy is you're gonna you're basically gonna break ties with all your old relationships you're not gonna be allowed to speak to them yeah. that includes family members children different things you're gonna you're gonna put all that stuff on hold while you go through this process and and I took advantage of times when I got out of the house or had some responsibilities and I called her which was against the rules, and I had done that multiple times. Um, and so that was a secret that I held, and one of the things that 
the Academy asks is that when you make a poor choice or you make a bad decision, let's put it out in the light of day. There's going to be some consequences for your choices. You're going to, but, but you owning it and you saying it for what it is and doing that, you can fix it. Well, I, it took me a, it took me some hard learning to get to that point. So I was effective in the Academy as far as I would show up to work. I would, I would bust my butt. I would, I, I would give, I would give my all when it was asked of me, but there were things that I had done, like the, the girlfriend and the, and the secret conversations that I'd had with people that we just aren't to the level. We ask for, yeah. be, the, be as perfect as you can try to be. Try to be perfect. We'll never achieve perfection, but try to get there. And when you hold on to stuff and you do things, you, you live below that. So I had kept secrets for other people. I had little secrets, you know, and I would continue to hide them instead of bring them out into the light of day. And so there was things that I was doing well at, that I was achieving, that I was doing whatever, but there was, I never gave it all the way through. And so that would come out over and over again. And I would say at about 18 months into, the, into it, I had started to buy into this process. I had started to see changes in myself. I had started to have my eyes really open to some things that needed to be different about my life. But those secrets that I had from early on in my stay, sure. rather than just coming forward and saying, look, I want to be a, do a totally new person. I did some of these things while I was, you know, early on. My pride and my ego and my arrogance wouldn't allow me. I wanted to continue to feel good, but I didn't want to be completely honest. Yeah. And so I buried them. I figured I'd, I'd sweep this under the carpet and I can just move on. Just, nobody has to know about it. Yeah. I don't have to take the shine off my apple. I, and I'll just move on. It's like it never happened. That's just not how life works. Your, your past, if you don't face it, will always catch up to you. Huh. And so at about 18 months, I had decided I'm going to stay here longer than the two years. So, you know, you brought up most of the guys yeah. show up there and say, two years, I'm out. Yeah. Well, and that's how I was. I was very vocal about it. I was very yeah. like, thank you for giving me this opportunity to not go back to prison, but I'm done when I'm done and I've got my own thing going on. Yeah. And that had changed for me. Huh. I had started to see different things. And so those secrets came out through a circumstance of I had to hold boundaries with somebody. Um, you, it's hard to hold boundaries with a, with another person to tell them, hey, you're living below what you are when you have skeletons in your yeah, closet, when they right? Know, and when they know. Yeah, and when or they know. Even, and, when, and, even if they don't know, you but, know. Yeah, and so the yeah. greatest thing that came out of this was a guy vindictively, because I had to hold some boundaries with him at work about what we were doing, you know, basically said, who are you to tell me? Screw you, I'm gonna go, you know, tell them what you've done. And that moment was hard for me because I had grown to love the place. I had grown to build some new relationships in my life. I had no contact with really people from my past. Um, you know, so I kind of built this new life for myself. And I had made, I had made grievous enough mistakes that I knew that this was going to be a serious issue. And there was a moment where I, I thought about leaving. You know, I, I kind of weighed my options out and I said, at this point, I probably would have not been in any legal trouble. I had completed most of the program. I could probably swing it. You know, the uh, probation officers were happy with what I'd been doing, the judges, stuff like that. But, but it was one of those moments that was really a crossroads. And I had to say to myself, what do I want to do? Do I want to face this music here and fix this? Or do I want to just continue going on doing what I'm doing? And Dave, you know, had expressed to me, he said, look, man, 
you have so much potential. You have so much, you know, to be something that you can be, but you just can't get out of your own way. And mm -hmm. if I let you graduate this program, having held on to these secrets that you kept this whole time, knowing, you know, he's like, you're no dummy. You know the amount of effort you had to put into being deceitful about these things and all these other stuff. If I let you complete this and say that you're good, I will, I will have signed your death certificate. He said, so you have two options. And this is about two years into the stay here when I'm about to graduate, what would have been my graduation time. And I was gonna stay longer. Uh, anyways, but Dave said, you have two choices. You can either start over right now from the beginning, go back, lose all the privileges, wow. lose everything that you've done, or you can leave. Wow. And that's up to you. And I sat there and I, and Dave is somebody that I had grown to just respect, sure. you know, that, that father figure that yeah. I told you I'd been looking for and yeah. that authority figure that I respected. And I had seen enough now to know that he had my best interest at heart and he, what he was telling me was yeah. the truth. Not only that, Dave's an ex-convict that spent 25 years in prison. Yeah. He'd lived my life. Yeah. He'd done all he, these things. He, he and, and anybody that knows Dave, yeah. you know him very well. He's a, he's a powerhouse of a person. Well, I was going to say, you know, the, the visual of Dave as a leader, he walks in the room. He, he could walk in the room with 100 people and he'd be like, that guy is a leader. Yeah. And you have that same quality. And he demands he demands he does. that respect, yeah, he and does. he had gained, he had gotten yeah, that from me. He'd earned it too, yeah. And so here I was, and I remember the moment he's telling me how disappointed he was in me, and there was this, this look in his eyes that was the same look of every person in my life that I had disappointed over and over and over again. You know, um, that had been my story, right? This story that I'm telling you is it sounds like kind of like I was just this miscreant, but there was a lot of times where people had had faith in me, had put a lot of eggs in my basket yeah. and I had crushed them. And, and so this look in Dave's eyes was, was that genuine disappointment. You know, this wasn't just a guy that was, um, well, you really screwed up or whatever this, I had affected him and I, and I, it mattered to me. And I, I saw that look and I, I flashed through everybody in my life that I had had that look in their and right there in that moment, I said, I will never see that look in someone's eyes again. Wow. And I, I said, I'll stay here. I'll do it again. I'll do everything that I'm supposed to do. And thank you for this opportunity wow. to change my life because you're absolutely <laughs> thank right. Thank you for another two-year sentence. But you're not looking But it wasn't way. a sentence. You're no, like, yeah. this is something I know you're saying is right. And I, I want to do this. Yes. Cause, cause and I'm I ready to invest this. in myself. Wow. I'm, that thing I should have done when I was 20 years old and other people were investing in themselves and wow. doing something. With, I, I knew that this is it. Time. And I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. Yeah. And so I did. I, I started over. I did the second stay. Um, I, I would say not flawlessly. I made mistakes, or, but nothing that was not easily fixable. I learned how to be accountable. I learned how to show up for other people. And I learned how to not make it about me, but to make it about the bigger cause of what we're trying to do and to give other people the same opportunity that wow. I had. And so, you know, at, so after being there for about four years, I had expressed some things that I'd like to do. Um, I'd been basically a part of the academy almost since the start. And we were growing and we were, you know, just doors opening and things happening, yeah. you know, changing the community. And, and I saw that we needed somebody or, or a, a group of people that would be in charge of all these facilities and, you know, creating this growth that we're doing that we could save some money that way. And yeah. somebody's going to have to monitor all this. And, and so I 
asked if I could go get my general contractor's license and we could start uh, a construction company as one of the social enterprises from the other side academy, not only to create, generate revenue and create vocational training skills for the guys coming in, but to also, you know, just maintain this massive infrastructure sure, that we've grown created. so much. Yeah. And so after that time, you know, I, I, I was told, yeah, you know what I mean? You've proven yourself. You've, you've, you, you're a different man. You're somebody that we can trust. You're somebody that has integrity. We'll back you. You go and figure out what you need to do and we'll help you start this business. You know, and since then, so that's been uh, three and a half years ago now that, well, I guess not three, almost, almost three and a half years ago now that I started, you know, was, was able to go get that contractor's license and start the other side builders. So, <laughs> That's one of our, our companies. And you're, you're, you're running that now? Yeah, I'm the general manager of the other side builders, so wow. I, I'm you know the oversight of that. I've uh, got 13 guys that work on the crew um, that are all, you know, most of them are students. We have a, a couple of guys that are staff members that work as supervisors, you know, to make sure that the, everything's being done. But we, we've done, you know, we're a multi-million dollar operation. We save the academy millions of dollars a year in repairs renovations yeah um, we've, we have yeah we've given guys vocational training skills our guys walk out and they can that when they graduate the program we find them good jobs and most of the companies that we we get them not just not just the other companies you know like we dave's got relationships with so many people that's one of our things yeah. we get the guys jobs we get them out there on their feet yeah. doing their stuff but the guys that, that tend to go get the construction jobs that have worked with us are just, they're highly sought after by the other, yeah. the other things. So it's, yeah, man, it's been awesome. I, uh, I am engaged uh, to a woman that went through the Other Side Academy with me. We got there about the same time. Um, she's a staff member at the Other Side Village now. Uh, she was a staff member at the Academy and then the Village is our, our homeless, you know, initiative yeah. that we're trying to help the, with the homeless Which population. Is also incredible. And so she's working as a coach with that because she has a background in living that life. Uh, we brought her, he was 13 at the time, he's, he's 16 now, her, her son that she had basically been absent from his life. Her parents had been raising him. Uh, we, we have him in our life now. He's, uh, he'll be starting his junior year of high school here in just a month or so. Uh, that's been an amazing experience. You know, there's nothing that'll teach you more about yourself than trying to raise a child. Yeah. And so it's, life is good today. I've been a part of an organization that's not only changing individual lives of people that have been broken, but we're making an effect in the community. Um, I have a purpose today, that purpose that I talked about, you know, chasing. I'm somebody that I know you can count on me today. Like, that's the biggest thing in the world, I show up. Um, I used to be the guy that I would either lie to get what I could out of you, or I would make commitments and then never keep them. You know, loose ends everywhere. I show up. I show up today. If I say I'm going to do something, I'll move heaven and earth to make it happen. And I'm surrounded by other people that share that same mindset. Mm. And together, we're accomplishing just amazing things. I show up for my mom. My mom that stood by my side through prison sentence. A year. I mean, I don't know many how many hundreds of thousands of dollars she must have put out of her her money and her time and the stress and everything for years to try to hope that I was gonna make it out of there and I'm there for her today. Mm -hmm. I don't ask a thing of her. Now I show up to say, what can I do for you, you know? And that's not an overnight process. That's a goal that a lot of people like us want to do, but it takes time. 
it takes time and it takes patience and it takes guidance and support and it, and it takes uh, some serious soul searching you know and there's no easy quick fix and it's a constant process I'm not fixed today every day I, I, I overcome a new set of challenges and the next ones present themselves right yeah and uh, mm. so that's I mean that's it that's that brings us up to present day I meet guys like you uh, met you years ago when when you know you guys did the suited for good program and you you, you give people that are at a certain point in the program uh, a really nice suit man and that was I remember that was just one of the things we looked forward to so much and being able to present ourselves as more than that broken person that we were um, in professional situations I, I still have the suit and I wear it occasionally right. I have a number of other suits now because Good. of how my life is gone Good, but I, I still I have it, it and uh, it's it's been awesome man because you do have to you do have to live up to the role that you want to be like who do I want to be I want to be a professional I want to be a guy that's taken seriously I want to be somebody that that people can count on you know yeah. and, and having the outer covering to match the inner mm-hmm. is important but if you don't fix the inner first the outer doesn't matter doesn't at matter. all <laughs> Jordan I am I'm just blown away man I am so grateful for this opportunity to hear your story and I just I mean, hopefully you're really proud, and hope, I, I bet your mom is so proud. And uh, I get emotional just hearing these stories and just feeling uh, so much gratitude for your willingness to share, and and uh, just so many nuggets in here. Yeah, you know, I I was telling Dylan, who I interviewed earlier today, um, that my my 13 year old boy started listening to these episodes, and I like I want him to hear these things. I want him to hear where people have come from, their triumphs, and and these these lessons that you're giving are just, yeah. they're invaluable. I'm so grateful. Well, and, and you know, that's the education people being able to hear that, hey, not only like if you choose certain things, these are the action, the consequences you'll get, but also to hear, hey, maybe you've gotten these consequences and all hope isn't lost, right? It's There's just so many things that it can benefit. Like, like you're saying, a kid that's, maybe trying to decide what path am I gonna walk in life, what are some of the things, but then also somebody who's maybe walked a, a yeah. path that they need to get back off of, yeah. and they don't know the way back. They didn't They didn't leave their trail of bread, breadcrumbs to get back, yeah. you know? Well, Jordan, such a pleasure. I'm Again, I'm grateful that you'd come join us, and, uh, and I, hope, uh, I hope just for these stories that we, that, we get a lot of people to listen to this podcast so they can hear and learn. And yeah, super and grateful. Thanks. Can I plug the other side Academy? Oh, please do. Please so do. If yes. there's anybody out please there do. that, uh, you know, has, has a loved one or somebody that, you know, that's dealing with, uh, addiction issues. It's dealt with, you know, criminal recidivism, maybe dealing with homelessness or just, just those life issues that they have chronically not been able to get over. And you think that a, two-year minimum commitment to a place that could help them really change their life would benefit them please feel free to get a hold of the other side academy and and set up an interview process Um, you can get to us at theothersideacademy.com or uh, give our office a call at 801-953-0409 love it love to helping people so love it man well i think that's a great place to stop and uh yeah again jordan thank you so much thank you for the opportunity bj